everybody makes mistakes. You stumble along the way. You do stupid things. Uh, I think it's super important to be sort of reflective of your own sort of, you know, where you've gone wrong in the past, right? Did I prematurely build a team before the market was ready? You know, did I get the zero to one wrong? Did I not think about go to market much more intentionally sooner rather than later? And I think uh, there's a lot of those failure scenarios which you have to reflect on. And I think that's the most valuable. Welcome to 20 Minute Leaders. Just sit back, relax, and learn from the leaders of today. It's a journey. Each one is different, unique, inspiring. Let's get started. This episode is powered by J Ventures, a community-driven VC fund in Silicon Valley in partnership with Laumi Tech and sponsored by Hippo Insurance, Turing, Upwest Labs, and Hillel at Stanford. Work from home is a phrase we all learn in the past year. Meet Bajwi Rajashikar, founder and CEO of Jam, a lightweight voice and video collaboration tool for remote and distributed teams. Prior to Jam, he was the CTO and SVP of engineering at TalkBox, now part of Nexmo, Vonage's API platform, where he led the core engineering and operations teams. Before joining TalkBox, Badri worked at Microsoft in the core operating systems division. He has an MS in computer science from Stanford University. Badri Rajashekar, thank you for joining me. How are you? Good, good, good. Thanks so much, Michael. I really appreciate you having me on your show. It's um, super excited to be here. The honor is all mine. Let's, uh, let's not confuse this, but uh, we're going to have such a wonderful time to talk in these 20 minutes about your experience uh, as a serial entrepreneur, a fellow uh, Stanford alum. I'm not an alum yet, but uh, hopefully one day we'll be fellow alums. <laughs> uh, right, right. Stanford alum for you, master's in, in science. And uh, you've, you've done a breadth of things, entrepreneurial. Uh, you've worked for both corporates uh, post-acquisitions. You've built your own companies. In fact, the platform we're using right now uh, is you told me it, it's built on a technology that you uh, developed and sold for uh, for quite a, a good sum of money. Uh, so it's pretty exciting. Yeah, I'm excited to excited to be here. Yeah, I've, uh, you know, it's it's been sort of an interesting journey for me from from Stanford. So I've like you said, I've sort of dabbled in really large companies, really small companies, medium sized companies, startups. So it's been sort of an interesting journey to see that landscape evolving. I, I love that. So talk to me a little bit about you know first. You know, in overview, when you look back mm-hmm. at your journey as a serial mm-hmm. entrepreneur, as an engineer by profession, all the mm-hmm. way leading to now thinking critically about how you can be a leader in the remote workplace environment, right. how, do you, how do you think about yourself as an, as an entrepreneur and as a leader? What are some things that, that you think led you as sort of on your journey that you see come up across the board? Right. I think, I think that's a really good question. And for me, if I reflect back on my own journey, right, uh, you know, it's been sort of this meandering. Um, I, I, I like to tell people that, you know, I'm the most irrational, rational person you can meet. And to some degree as an engineer, and we are all like very analytical, very logical thinkers. But at the same time, we're also humans. We have this irrational sort of, uh, you know, behavior where we're super attracted to certain ideas. We are like very excited about doing certain things. And so I think it's this combination of sort of there are moments in your career where you're rational, you know, thinking about it very analytically. And there are moments where you're just like super excited and pumped about an idea and it's, it's completely irrational, uh, but you sort of pull the trigger and take that jump. Right. Um, and so I think it's really important if I if I look back uh, at my own journey, you know, uh, what actually got me here has been this combination of rational, irrational sort of movements. Where at times I've been sort of super open and excited about opportunities. And once you pick up on those opportunities and then you, you need to execute 
those opportunities in a much more rational way, right? So uh, at least for me, and this might not be a universal formula, uh, I pick ideas I'm like very excited about. But once I pick the idea, how you go about sort of building that company or how you go about building that product has to be rooted in a lot of rational analysis and, and logic, right? And I think it's it's I think it's kind of doing that and being open to opportunities is, is sort of what sort of got me here. And it's I love that. an interesting so- journey as well. I love it. So tell me a little bit about the founding of Talkbox and your, you understand that there's a gap in the market. I'd love to hear both the, you know, the entrepreneurial side of it, but also, you know, thinking critically as an engineer and, and making sort of that transition to leadership and, and how you integrate those two things, because that's really, I think, an exciting thing where you both harness skill sets, but then you actually go and you empower others to build on top of them and leading teams to actually get a, a really amazing platform out there. Correct. So, yeah, I'm happy to talk, to talk a little bit about that journey, right? Like, so when <clears throat> Talkbox, which was my, the, the company I previously was with, and right now I'm, I'm building this remote work application called Jam. But the genesis of Talkbox was, um, you know, and we were kind of like ahead of the market, you know, YouTube had just exited to Google and this was like 2008, 2009. Uh, there was this idea that now that video on demand had been sort of a big movement, the next step is going to be a live video conversation that seamlessly works on the browser where people are able to communicate with each other, right? And that sort of led us to develop like uh, OpenTalk, which is a video API platform where people, uh, it lets people embed these audio video experiences into your own application. Now, the problem with that was we were like 10 years too early to the market, right? Like the technology was not fully there. There was, you know, a lot of the networking uh, bandwidth, networking requirements was not available. CPUs were not as powerful as they are today. Um, so it was kind of a very sort of uh, uh, far sort of uh, future facing idea, which now in hindsight seems very obvious, right? Like post pandemic video is like hot. Everybody's about video. Of course, it makes a lot of sense, but it took a while to sort of get here. and. The interesting, the genesis of the journey into Jam was along the way, we went from a relatively small Silicon Valley company. And like you said, we were acquired by a large Spanish telco called Telefonica, which is fantastic. We got to meet from people from all over the world and, you know, meet people from different cultures. But immediately sort of the genesis of Jam, which is what we're building right now, came from this observation that as teams are becoming more remote and distributed, you know, it's super important to sort of figure out mechanisms where you can drive alignment of vision. And I think there's too much, and my own belief is there's too much emphasis being placed on productivity, right? How do you get remote teams to be productive? How do you have process? How do you write it down? Is it asynchronous? Is it synchronous? But if you actually think about all the greatest teams in the world, productivity is sort of an emergent behavior of trust and these teams having fun and they are like, you know, they're, they're, they're trying out new ideas. They're hacking together. It's, it's like a band of people who are on a boat rowing together, right? And really, for me, the question was, why do we not have tools that let you uh, serendipitously generate that culture, that informality that's sort of missing when you're not working uh, together again, right? It's, you're always, that. you know, the problem is you're, all, you're alternating between Zoom or Slack, right? And I want something in the middle, <laughs> right? Um, and that, that was sort of the genesis of how we came up with Jam. And I think this is, this is a problem that has now been accentuated by this, this pandemic and, and working from home and this remote work movement, right? It's, it's not about productivity. Like, how do, I, how do I brainstorm with you? How do I just hang out? Like, what's, how do I create that culture where previously we could all go into the break room and play foosball together or ping pong? How do you recreate that, right? I love that because I think 
one thing that we need to say very clearly, Jam was founded in July of 2019. Right. COVID hit March of 2020. I can think of relatively few occurrences in history when uh, perhaps timing was as good as this to create the company that you're creating. And, you know, the thing that I kept hearing over and over again in March was, ah, we missed the fountain conversations, right? That this right. idea that, you know, we have these meetings, they're formal, they're structured, right. there's an agenda. But what about Correct. all the you know, innovation and creativity that stems out of the agenda-less meetings that happen across, around the water, the water cooler, right? The water, exactly. water conversations. Exactly right. Exactly right. And, and, it's, it's, and I think people kind of underestimate how important those water cooler conversations, those, even that playful banter where you know, teams are making fun of each other and they're playing games. And I think that camaraderie uh, builds this culture of trust and sort of openness and transparency, which is extraordinarily critical. And I would almost say even more important as you're trying to go to a remote team, right? And I think uh, there's too much emphasis being placed on process and not enough being emphasis being placed on how do you foster that culture, right? That makes, that makes so much sense to me because what I've been noticing mm -hmm. across the board in every conversation, when you have to schedule a meeting and, right. and, and, then you're trying to pair it with productivity and informality and intuitiveness. It just doesn't work. The simple right. act of scheduling this meeting and not being able to, to hop on. Cause if I want to talk to a friend at work now, it's, it's not that easy for me to just say, Hey, can, can we go on a zoom? And here's the link. And, and it, it becomes a formal thing. And very quickly, our schedules get filled up with these predispositioned meetings that, that, you know, they can just ruin this, this creativity. And so I, I completely resonate with what you're saying. And I'm so happy that somebody's working on this. I can't wait to try it out myself. Yeah, you should. You should. And and actually, one of our original design goals was, hey, you know, it should be as easy as if I'm, I, I sort of swivel around and, you know, how if we were all sitting together in a pod, I could just like swivel around and be like, hey, Joe, like, you know, have a quick question or, you know, I'm casually sort of overhearing conversations. We, we wanted to create that kind of audiovisual fabric uh, for the modern enterprise, right? And I think, I think the lid's being blown off post-COVID in terms of, even going beyond that and thinking of communication and collaboration uh, no longer as, a sim as an application, right? A collaboration and communication should be features of any existing application and workflow I happen to be using. If I'm in Figma and we both are looking at the same design, like why shouldn't I quickly talk to you and be like, hey, like what about, what about this? What about the margins? What about the fonts, right? If we are looking at the same pull request on GitHub, why aren't we able to sort of very quickly hash it out together? Like we don't have to go back and forth in, in threads. I, I, I can only imagine how much that increases productivity. Tell me a little bit about your thought process. So here's an example of, of this amazing opportunity. The world is changing. I don't think there's any single person that will argue with you that what you're doing is irrelevant. I mean, this is, okay. you know, the <laughs> most, one of the most relevant things that I can think about. Obviously, the number of, rem of, of you know, remote collaboration startups has boomed significantly uh, with, the, right. with the rise of COVID. Uh, but, I, but, I, but I think that what you're doing here is, is completely innovative. And, and I just love this idea. As you go about sort of creating this new market, defining this new consumer behavior, what, what do you prioritize? What do you really say? How do you even go to create a market like this? Because you really do have to educate the market on something that previously is not common at all. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. And I think to some degree, what we are seeing is sort of the consumerization of the workplace, right? So while it is a new, it is a new behavior and it's a new way of working for the workplace and maybe enterprises and at work, 
But I think to a large degree, we are being massive. We have already been sensitized to new modalities of communication in social apps and how we interact with our friends, right? If I'm, if I'm on Discord and I'm playing video games with a bunch of uh, friends of mine, there's already all these interesting ways we, we, we all hang out together, right? Or whether it's Instagram stories or Marco Polo and I'm sending messages back and forth. And now it's like Clubhouse, right? Like we all hang out and like listen to interesting ad hoc conversations that happen to be going on. I think to some degree, it's it's more of a tailwind because there's all these social modalities of communication that sort of have have opened our eyes as consumers to say, okay, there are all these in lightweight informal ways to communicate and connect with people and collaborate with people in interesting ways. And then you come to work and it's like, oh, let's get on a on a on a on a, on a video conference and sit there for sixty minutes, bored out of our wits. And I think to some degree, what Yes, it is a new behavior at work, but I think it's also sort of being driven by this, this, this rich social consumer experience that all of us are sort of used to uh, in, our, in, our, in our social lives. So talk, talk to me a little bit about your strategy approaching this. So uh, both, I, I guess, you know, part of it is this idea of selling remotely, uh, which, is, right. which is very difficult. But, but how do you even go about, you know, having people try this out? Because it sounds to me like network effects here has a huge component, not necessarily, you know, a global network effect, but, you know, within an organization, you need to have it, you know, very, you, you need to have your, your intimate coworkers at least be on it. So how, do you, how are you approaching uh, this from a strategical uh, point in time? I think that's a, that's a really interesting question. And I think a lot of these applications where you're trying to collaborate with a group of people, especially if it's not a social application, uh, you run into what I call the cold start problem, right? Like when the first person actually experiences that application, do you now need five other people for you to actually see the value of that application, right? That's the cold start problem. It's the single player mode. And I think it's really important. And the way we think about it is, can we provide enough value in the application in single player mode, where the first person who comes and tries it out has some value, right? Like maybe they can record a little video message of themselves and it doesn't have to be synchronous. They record a little video message of themselves and then share it with their friends or they post it on Slack, right? So, um, and then somebody who views it within their team at Slack can react to it and then maybe they're curious and then they go and, and, and download the Jam application, right? I think it's super important to solve the, the, the cold start problem. Um, in applications like this. And that's what, I wouldn't say we have cracked it. That's what we try to spend a lot of time thinking about. And I also think we are interesting this, entering this really interesting world where it's almost like the era of embedded communications, right? It's like, why even have a particular application, right? Why can't I pull that context? Why can't I pull that conversation into whatever workflow I happen to be doing, right? The last thing you want to do is pe- kick people out of their existing workflow into a new experience. And so we spend a lot of time thinking about like the cold start problem and how do we get cl- closer and closer into your existing workflow, whatever you happen to be doing. H- how, do we, how do we enter your workflow with minimal sort of friction for you as a user, right? And I think it's, it's, it's super important to solve those problems. But you're right, there's inherently a network effect, a local network effect uh, that's, that's, that's important to get right. I, I love that. So serial entrepreneur, you've done the journey uh, with with Talkbox and you're you're entering this new journey. What what are some things that that you're taking with you that you know if you hadn't had that experience at Talkbox, then then it wouldn't be so clear. And the reason I'm asking for this is because you know as a young entrepreneur myself, as a learner, mm-hmm. I'm I'm really excited about those those key insights that from actual experiences that you bring with you to your next ventures, because I think those are really, you know, the critical ones, right? The things that are actually 
empowering you as you move on. And there's a reason why serial entrepreneurs have a much higher success rate. It's because they harness those experiences with them. So, so I'd love to hear some of those, you know, cool experiences and how you're bringing them with you to whatever you do, whether it's jam or anything else. Right. Uh, that's, that's a super interesting, uh, super interesting question. I think there's, 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 there's two angles to it, right? In this case with jam, again, this is not maybe universally applicable. It's, it's a little bit easier for us because we are in that same domain, right? Like, uh, Talkbox was a video API platform. We are now doing something with video. And so we have, you know, uh, you know, we have a decade of collective sort of expertise in terms of what we got right, what we didn't get right. And sort of there's, there's a lot of learned knowledge that can be brought over because we're doing something in the same domain. But on the other side, I would say it, it's also everybody makes mistakes. You stumble along the way. You do stupid things. Uh, I think it's super important to be sort of reflective of your own sort of you know, where you've gone wrong in the past, right? Did I prematurely build a team before the market was ready? You know, did I get the zero to one wrong? Did I not think about go to market much more intentionally sooner rather than later? And I think uh, there's a lot of those failure scenarios which you have to reflect on. And I think that's the most valuable thing. It's kind of cliched where, you know, everybody says, oh, you learn from your failures. But I think it's it's more about trying to optimize, right? I you can think of entrepreneurship as, as sort of a series of micro optimizations and you, you, you get a whole bunch of things slightly better and the collective sum of all those micro optimizations is, is, is compounded. And so I don't think for, I don't think about these big breakthroughs. I think about, okay, what are all these at every little area? What can I do something slightly better than what I did in the past? And hopefully that series of micro optimizations has a compounding effect on your journey. And what I'm hearing from this is that really this comes down to, you know, just asking the right questions, knowing to check yourself at the door. And I think that, you know, what I'm hearing from you, having gone through these, uh, you know, failures, if you would call them or successes, they just teach you how, how things, you know, that you wouldn't think of otherwise are, are relevant and important. And the only way to really uncover them is to be asking yourself these, these really critical questions, right? That's right. That's exactly right. And if uh, I don't want to sound like too much of a, uh, like too much of a nerd or a geek here, if you actually think about it in, in computer science terms, it, it's like the feedback loop. It's like backpropagation to go and tweak your parameters. It's not so much success or failure. It's like, okay, you've got data from the past, which you can now um, sort of apply to optimize something going forward, right? So it's it's that feedback loop in the mesh. <laughs> I love that. Badri, tell me a little bit about what really gets you excited. What what really you know motivates you to go and build companies and build different technologies and, and try to be market leader in, in different platforms. What, what is it? What is it about this, the things you're doing that gets you really excited? That's, that's kind of a really hard question for me to answer. I think, but I, I inherently am like very, very excited about the communication space and sort of real-time collaboration. So to, to a large degree, what gets me out of bed is just solving communication problems, right? And, and I've been working in the space for 10 years, right? It's not just because video is hot right now. And I think, um, Connecting people and getting people talking to each other solves a lot of problems in the world. Now, this is going to sound a little bit grandiose, but I genuinely think if more people spoke to each other, if you had a mechanism where more people are connecting and collaborating and talking to each other, the world would be a better place. And I think communication plays an extremely important role in sort of getting groups of people who otherwise might not be interacting with each other, interacting with each other, right? And I think that's that's super important. And I think from a startup, an entrepreneurship point of view, it's always the thrill of the, the, the underdog, right? It's like, okay, can I do something and slipstream all of the big 
goliaths in the space with like a small group of crew of people right it's almost like being on this pirate ship where you know it's a small group of people trying to go and sort of against all odds trying to do something and it's 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 extremely exhilarating when it does work <laughs> and i'm sure it's crushing when it doesn't <laughs> i love it bhaji thank you so much for being so generous with your time i know how busy you are and I'm, i really appreciate you coming here and sharing with me uh, with me that uh, everything that you've been doing and will do and i can't wait to go and try this out myself uh, i think it's completely relevant and again i'm i'm dumbfounded by the amazing timing uh, that this <laughs> happened so so it sounds like you have good timings both with talkbox and with this uh, but what i uh, have to ask you which is the most important question three words that you would use to describe yourself i would say intellectually curious naive and energetic <laughs> I, I love it. Uh, Badri, thank you so, so much for coming here. I really appreciate it. Uh, and stay safe and stay healthy. And I can't wait to see what happens uh, as you move forward. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you so much, Michael. I really appreciated the conversation. It was fun. And uh, thank you for having me on. Of course. Thank you. All right. Take care. Take care.